Welcome, fellow wanderers, to The Forest Path, a podcast about the journeys we take to discover our true selves and our creativity, and the uncertainty and fears that can accompany us on the way. I'm Julia Mazzola, your inner forest guide. Today's conversation is with Jamie Farron, writer and website designer. I have followed Jamie for many years now and always feel struck by her writings. She's a source of inspiration on how to change yourself and in leading a creative life. We talk about how she feels about writing, bringing discipline into her rituals, and creating an intentional life for herself. There is so much here. Let's begin. Hello, Jamie. It's so wonderful to have you here. How are you doing today? I'm good. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to chat. Well, I have been a avid reader of your Friday letters for a while now, but there may be some people listening who haven't had the pleasure of reading your words. Would you be able to introduce yourself briefly? Sure. Yeah, I'm a writer and um, web designer, creative consultant. I write every other Friday, I write what's called a Friday letter, and I write these raw kind of missives about what's going on with me or maybe what's going on in the world. And I also post vignettes on my Instagram and I just have a a lot of different interests and different skills. I also own a web design company where I do branding websites and now it's kind of morphed into a lot of creative consulting for different clients. So I do a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it definitely sounds it, but I'm assuming this all kind of built up over time rather than coming fully formed to you? Oh, yeah. I mean, I started my design business back in 2009. So that's been building for a long time in the background. And then I also, I mean, I've been sharing my writing online since live journal, Zanga. Um, oh, live journal days. Those were the best. I know. I days. <laughs> And like, you know, I used to have a blog and I used to be really into all the RSS readers and all of that. And, um, you know, it's just that's kind of been a constant. It's gone in and out of, you know, different topics that I've talked about. I also for a year I was a senior writer at Thought Catalog. And so I wrote a lot of more like public facing work. So I've done a lot. This has definitely been a culmination of not really even knowing sometimes what I'm working toward, but just following what felt right and what I needed to share and do. So you said you have been writing and sharing online forever. Was that something that always came quite naturally to you? Did it feel like when you were first sharing your writing that it was something that you really wanted to do? I don't really know that I had a conscious thought. Um, I actually, I mean, this is real deep kind of stuff. Like back in high school, I mean, I'm 35. So back in high school, that's a good amount of time ago. Um, I, <laughs> um, I used to write on AOL. I used to write little zines and I would create designs for my zines using like punctuation, like percent signs and dollar signs. Like I've just always had this and I didn't even know what I was doing. I was just like, I want to share my creativity. And so I feel like these tools have just popped up for maybe this is the generation that wanted all these tools to be able to share our creative work. But, you know, at first though, I think when I started to get some people who were outside of my friends and family reading my work, probably back in, I'd say 2007 is when that started to happen. I was like a little freaked out by it. 
And I started to get in my head a little bit. And I think the thing that I've struggled with the most that I don't struggle with anymore, but for all of my twenties was just being consistent. It's like I would start a blog and then I'd end up being like, Oh, sorry, I haven't posted in a while. Sorry. I haven't posted in a while. And so my thing was always like, I had all these ideas, but then I wasn't very consistent or I'd get like one bad comment. And so I would stop writing for like three months, you know, things like that. So, I mean, where I'm at now is a lot different than how I started and, you know, where, how long it took to just get really comfortable. Like I don't really, when I send out my Friday letters, when I do an Instagram post, it's very rare that I'm like, Oh no, what are people going to think? I'm just like, eh, put it out. Who cares? <laughs> you know, like just keep going. Uh, it's one thing just go. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think a lot of the time we, when we see people showing up online, a lot of the way we forget that there has been a whole bunch of time behind them where they have had to deal with things and learn things about themselves. And clearly you have honed the skill of writing over a long stretch of time and the skill of turning up consistently. You have mentioned before and you just re-mentioned now how consistency used to be an issue for you. How do you think you've managed to change that over time? Originally, I thought um, just because I'm such a perfectionist in many ways, I mean, I don't know, I guess that's the word I would use. But, you know, I expected I would sit down and write the best thing ever. And, you know, when it didn't get the response that I thought it would throw me off track, because at all these expectations, I wanted it to, you know, I had self worth all like wrapped up in it. And I think I finally got to the point when I think it was when I turned 30, but it took a couple of years for it to really stick. But when I turned 30, I was just really angry at myself that I hadn't kept with anything. I had all these ideas, all these promises that I had made to myself that I had broken. And I started to realize, I was like, you know what, more than anything, more than what the results of my work is going to be, I want to do it consistently. I want to be able to say to myself, you know, like, for example, writing is just like anything. It's just like learning to play the flute. Like you have to do it consistently. It's like practice. Like you, you get better the more you practice. It seems like you won't because you're like, well, how can I get better than where I'm already at? Like you feel like you've hit your limit, but actually like you really have it. You, you start to just be able to structure things differently and see um, patterns differently and everything. So it's just, I started to focus on that because I was too focused on, am I good enough? Am I good enough? Am I good enough? And this like fear, deep fear of like inadequacy and rejection. And I just like had to switch. I'm the kind of person though, where I could be banging my head against the wall. And then it's like a light bulb. She's like, stop doing that. And I stop. like, I'm pretty good at that but it takes a while. It's like some people, I think they go like, they stop and they start, they stop. I'm just like, I'm going to keep doing this destructive thing until the light bulb comes on. And then I'm able to shift it. And that's what happened where I was like, you know what, I'm done trying to be good enough and trying to be perfect right away. I am going to put all my focus into showing up consistently. Like that's, for example, that's how it was with my Friday letters. I was like, I need an outlet because I've, I've always been writing online, but I 
didn't want to start a blog. I didn't want to do like just Instagram. And I was like, this was back in 2018. And I feel like everyone now has a newsletter, but that time it wasn't really like a big thing yet. And I was like, I'm going to start a newsletter. I'm going to do it every Friday. And no matter what, I'm going to write that day. Like it is non-negotiable. Doesn't even matter if it's the worst thing I've ever written. I'm sending it. And it like, I actually feel like that was a pretty big turning point for my writing where I was like, I'm done thinking of like, well, do I feel like it? Do I feel like it? No, every day, you know, or like whenever I say I'm going to do it, I don't write every single day, but like when I say I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it because building up the muscle of consistency and dedication and discipline is more important to me than being perfect at something right away and being like, I'm an overnight success. That doesn't have value to me anymore. Yeah. And I, I, what I really love from what you're saying as well is that it, I feel like there's still a lot of joy and love in that act of consistency. You've actually used the term joyful effort before, which I really like. And I would actually love for you to expand a little bit on this idea of joyful effort in the context of keeping yourself consistent. Yeah. So I think that if you're trying to be great at something right away and being like, am I good enough? It's always an external thing that you're trying to, you know, am I good enough? And did I get enough likes? Did I get enough subscribers? Did I get enough something? You know, it's always external. But what I found with consistency, because it's so unsexy, no one cares. <laughs> like, no one cares if you break promises to yourself at all. And there's nothing that outward about it. Like I could show up every single day and be like, I did what I said I was going to do. And people are going to be like, all right. And because it's so internal and the effort is something that I get to hold and say, look what I've done. Like seeing days pile up instead of always being like, well, everything starts Monday. I'll start Monday. It's like, I now have years of a new of a consistent newsletter. I have years of thousands and thousands and thousands of words piled up that I can look back and go that really gives me a lot of joy to know that I've done that. So, I guess instead of prioritizing or valuing effortlessness, I actually feel like I've switched it and been like I I value my effort so much because like I love that I'm not on day 1. I mean, speaking of like the new year, I didn't hit the new year at day one with a lot of things that I have wanted to be in process with for a long time. I think that's why for me, it's more joyful because I'm always trying to take away my, I guess, bring back my power from all of these external things that I can derive value from at all times. And I just don't want to do that. I, I want to like, derive value from something that I can track and feel good about and see my own personal results, regardless of what anyone thinks. Like discipline is really not that sexy. It's really not that like something people really want to talk about, but it's actually like such a confidence builder because it, it because it has nothing to do with trying to impress other people. And you learn so much from being consistent as well because you can finally see whether something that you've been dreaming about or something you've been thinking about is actually worth it to you. I think that's one of the 
most valuable things that I have learned from hearing about other people talking about it is that once you actually give something a go is the only way that you can really see whether it means something to you, whether it's worth putting in the hours that it needs for it to get somewhere where you want it to go. I mean, perfectly said. Exactly. I mean, that's a lot of times we build it up in our heads and you know, it becomes in our fear almost and like our procrastination, we kind of just make it more mythical. And then, you know, like I see this a lot. I'm not going to give any details, but I am working on a book and, um, exciting. I, yeah, it's exciting. (laughs) I'm saying I'm not going to give details because it's like, it's my own process that I'm doing. But because of that, I've seen a lot of people I mean, I see people complain about writing a book all the time. Is it effortful? Is it a lot of work? Of course. I mean, you're writing something that's 80 to 100,000 words. I mean, it's a huge undertaking. But I look at that and I'm like, if you're not going to enjoy the hours upon hours and potentially months, potentially years that it takes to write a book, it's going to be hard to enjoy the one moment of like, I got a book deal or this person likes it. It's like, it's not worth it. If the time investment isn't going to be enjoyable. I just like, I guess I realized that a lot in my twenties, I had invested time and energy and thought like a lot of daydreamy type of thought to things that I didn't think I even wanted to do. But because I had built it up in my head and I had never been consistent with it, it just really didn't illuminate for me until I was able to sit down and do something consistently. Like, for example, I always thought that I wanted to write a memoir or a self-help book. And once I did that, like once I wrote a book proposal and then I actually I like in 2019, I wrote both a book proposal, revised it multiple times with my agent and wrote a memoir a hundred thousand word memoir and realized I don't want to do either of those things. And I was like, that's only, this is something that like, since I read eat, pray, love decades ago, (laughs) I thought that I wanted to do. And then I was like, really? Okay. Like I just had to abandon it. And I was like, this is a thing that I thought, you know, but until you do it, it's true. I mean, it's a lot of, it's funny, a lot of cliches, you don't think they're true until you do it. Until <laughs> it like, happens oh. to you. Yeah. <laughs> I guess you don't know until you do something. Hmm. That's a kick in the butt. <laughs> Very exciting about your, your book. Can't wait for that to be out. Is that some, so you said you always wanted to write a memoir, but was a book something that always felt like a dream as a writer or were you, did you kind of stumble upon the idea of a book eventually? Oh, no, I've always wanted to write a book. I mean, I thought that I would be 21 with a best-selling book. I mean, for sure, I definitely, you know, and that's the thing I think I realized is like, that's part of the reason I don't like to talk about the book that I'm working on now is because I read somewhere. I don't remember where I got it, but it made sense that you get something from talking about what you're going to do and not doing it. Like, it kind of fulfills something, some part of the dream by like, well, one day I'm going to write a book. And then if you don't do it, like it already kind of fulfills it because you've hit something like you're telling someone something you're going to do. 
I think that makes sense. But you know, like it does. Like and, your brain gets that little dopamine hit <laughs> that tells it's it's yeah. done a good job. So then you relax a little. <laughs> right. It's like, oh, you did it. Yeah. I mean, but you haven't done it. <laughs> like, and I I talked a lot in my twenties about what I was going to do one day. And I think that was my wake up call of turning 30, where I was like, Jamie, this is all talk. Literally, it's all talk. You have not produced the things that you said you're going to. And it's not a lack of desire, clearly. It's just a lack of, you know, sitting down and doing the work. But yeah, I mean, I've always been like nose in a book as a kid. Um, I think I got waylaid a little bit by college and I went to. I ended up feeling like I really had to compromise for college. Like I had a dream of, you know, moving to New York, being, you know, taking creative writing, being this kind of that person in my mind. And then, you know, I had a college counselor who was just like, you don't have the money for that. You can't do that. You're going to have to pick a California state school. And it felt like a really big disappointment. And I didn't, I didn't know enough. I'm like the first one in my family to go to college. I mean, not like, it's not that big of a deal where like, I mean, my mom like went to beauty college. My, my dad didn't even graduate high school. Like it's, uh, it wasn't like we're a college family. So I don't think anyone knew to be like, well, what are the options? What could you do? What else is out there? Like, could I get loans? Could I get scholarships? It was just like, nope, this is not available to you. You need to do something else. And I think that that kind of, that was like, you know, four or five years of feeling really frustrated that I didn't get to, I was like, I don't want to take writing at Chico State. This is like a state school in California. And I was like, that was really stubborn. And I, you know, probably shouldn't have done that. But I think that, you know, things happen where you just get like kind of pushed in a different direction and you don't know, you don't know to say no. Yeah. I wanted to ask as well, because it seems that you had the ideas of where you wanted your future self to be. But were, were there any times in your life where it was actually super unclear what step you were going to take next? Oh, yeah. I mean, I would say probably my mid to late no, like all of my 20s. Like, you know, at first I wanted to work at um, like a startup in San Francisco. I thought, you know, I've always been really interested in computers. I thought that that was like something I wanted to do. I thought that I really thought that writing was a, like it was not going to make me any money. I mean, for someone who wasn't writing consistently, it was like a lot to think that I could rely on writing as a, a job. I didn't have a choice. No one was going to support me. So I feel like I went, like when I got out of college and during college, but when I definitely, when I got out of college, I was like, how can I make money? I had student loans. I was living on my own. I had to figure it out. In many ways, I'm very grateful for that because I actually think that I have, you know, I'm glad that I went that path but it was kind of murky because there was definitely a good amount of time where it was like, okay, I, I want to write a book, but there's other things that are much more urgent. And I think I wanted at some point to work at like a startup. And then I started my own company and starting my own company was a total fluke situation. So it was just like, I didn't even expect that I was going to do that. And then it just happened. And it happened basically because like I went viral 
because I wanted, I made a website saying I wanted to work at Twitter called twittershouldhiremecom <laughs> and, and Twitter did not hire me because <laughs> I had no skills. I was like right out of college. I was like, Twitter, hire me. I have no, I'm like, I can do things, I guess. And someone liked my website that I had designed that I had like hacked to, together and was like, can I pay you to make my website? And I was like, that's a job. Okay. Like I didn't even go to school for design. And so I was just like, sure, fake it till you make it. And then 11 years later, it's still my job. <laughs> so bizarre. <laughs> yeah. So it was, so that fell, well, it didn't fall into your lap because obviously things happened to get you there. But have you, throughout the 11 years of running your own business with this design work and with building up your writing as well, did you ever feel like you lost your spark for it? Or how have you managed to kind of maintain your joy for it? Well, for my job, for my design, I mean, I do really like it. But it feels less like a artistic thing than it does it's a skill that I have. And now, I mean, like I said, now I do a lot more creative consulting. Like, I mean, I do high level consulting, like business consulting with people about, you know, how to build their online business and everything. So in many ways, it's like, I just have a firm head on my shoulders that like, this is my job. Like it's my livelihood. And with my writing, I mean, definitely I've gone through ups and downs with it. Like when I worked for Thought Catalog, from 2014 to 2015, I was only there a year, but it was so toxic. I mean, it was all about how many clicks did you get? Like when people talk about clickbait, I'm like, you have no idea what it's like working for a place that relies on clicks. It's damaging. Like, I mean, I went viral multiple times, but it was still like, you go viral once. It's like, okay, what's your next thing? It doesn't matter what you just did. That kind of hurt my my joy of writing. And then after that, I had some contacts. So I thought that I would do freelance writing. And I'm like, not a good starving artist person. Like I definitely I need money, like to feel safe. I did not come from like I said, like, I don't come from money. So I don't feel comfortable making like less than you know, what I expect. And I think that, you know, when I was doing freelance writing, it just doesn't pay very well. And it was so weird because during the time where I was working for Thought Catalog and then the year after when I was doing freelance writing, it was like the time where I felt like everyone was thinking I was doing so well because, you know, you have, I have like friends from high school randomly being like, I saw your article being shared on my Facebook. And it's like so impressive to them. And, you know, then I'm like, I have bylines at like Teen Vogue and Good and all these like big places, but it's like Teen Vogue paid like $25 an article. It was weird to like commercialize my writing so much in that way and to like make so little money from it. Then there was about two, two or three years where I just like did not write. I, I was like, I'm not writing anymore. And if I get the, I told myself, I think it was like 26 like the end of 2016 into 2017, I was like, I quit writing. And if the desire comes back and it can be joyful and I can enjoy writing, I will do it, but I'm not ever doing it again if it can't be. And it took like a couple years for it to come back and then even more for it to come back as like, okay, now I can write a book. 
like I got my agent in 2019. So it was like two or three years before I was even at a place where I was like ready to think about it. And that, it sounds like that kind of came from the commercialization side of things where you didn't feel like you were being paid enough for the for the writing that you were doing. It was a sort of burnout type of feeling. Oh, definitely. Just having such a disconnect between what people think is how well you're doing. I wasn't trying to uphold that at all. But, you know, there are certain things in this world that get really flashy, you know, like certain bylines mm -hmm. and things like that. And I kind of know the dark side of it now where it's like I see bylines of like Forbes and I'm like, that's just a blog it, or like getting on HuffPo is just a blog. Like it's just, you just sign in. It's not, you know, like these things are kind of smoke and mirrors and I didn't like living in the smoke and mirrors. I didn't like being more concerned with how something looks versus how it feels. Like I don't like having an article go viral and then struggling to pay my rent. It's just like, no, I don't, I'm not into that. That makes sense, does it? And was it a difficult decision to take a break from writing? Is it, well, you now know it's a break, but at the time it was a stop. It was awful because actually in 2016, I had a different literary agent that like approached me based on my thought catalog articles. And she was very interested in me writing some sort of like millennial guide to your 20s type of thing. Cause that was a lot of what thought catalog was. And I kept trying. I mean, I worked on it and I was just like, I hit my total, I mean, the word what, that you said is perfect. Like I hit my total burnout and I was so upset and I was so anxious about telling her that we needed to break it off and feeling like, oh my God, I'm just wasting opportunities and I'm never going to have the life that I dreamed and blah, blah, blah. And like all of my worth was tied up in it. And yet that couple years of a break, I mean, I just like became a different person. I, I mean, I wasn't consistent. I mean, every single day at Thought Catalog, I had to write an article and every single day I'd spend half the day completely overstressed and worried that I wouldn't be able to do it. And it's like, I was doing it every day, but it was still, you know, all of my worth was tied up in, a, in it. And like, I, I, you know, it felt like it was like, I was not on top of it. It was on top of me. And so, yeah, it was a really hard decision. And I had to use a lot of my mental power to not, you know, every day I'd wake up and be like, why aren't you writing? Why aren't you writing? This stuff, you know, you need to be, you're going to lose everything. You're going to, and like, I just... I mean, I didn't even have Instagram then. I was just on Facebook. And so it's funny because I have this whole like community on Instagram that was built from nothing. And what happened in those years where you weren't writing? Were you nurturing your creativity in a different way? Was it lying fallow to be able to heal? Really not. I, in 2017, my entire focus was on my mental health. Mm. I was on anti-anxiety medication for that year. I felt like, you know what, I had hit that point where I was like, you know what, I, even if I have to work a job where I do absolutely nothing creative and it's just to make money and like, you know, preserve my financial health, then I'm going to have to do that because I can't 
I'm not doing this anymore. Where like my investment of my mental health, if I have to neglect my health to become this writer that I think I'm going to become, then I don't want it. And so I spent all that year just completely working on myself, um, journaling, exercising, getting a lot more clear on myself and like not caring about the metrics. I mean, I didn't post on anything. I was not on social media. I mean, I was still like had profiles, but I wasn't active. I wasn't doing anything. And then in 2018, my husband and I decided to, my husband's Tunisian and we've, um, we met in Paris. So we, we travel and do a lot of different things, but we decided we wanted to go back to France in 2018. So that was another like just really eye opening year of like being in my life instead of, you know, we spent four months in Paris, eight months in the South of France in Cannes. And it was just incredible. And I loved it there so much. And I felt like I got my joy back or just I got my joy in general. Like I have really had not prioritized feeling good, being happy, having stable mental health. It had always been, I'm going to be ambitious and think about my career and get ahead and make it and this and that. And I was like, I got to have this come first and then everything else behind it. Like I was just like, so now it's just such a different experience writing and being creative. And like, I just, my mental health is way more stable. I take care of myself first. I don't overwork. Like I do a lot, but I don't work on the weekends. I don't burn the midnight oil. Everything is planned. Like if I can't do it within my five days and within my work hours, I'm doing too much. So I just don't, you know, I have to let it go. Um, So that was all very important because, I mean, especially in 2016, after I left Thought Catalog, I felt like I had so much to prove. I had to like, I have to get a book deal and I have to like make it work and I have to do this and I have to, and it was just a bad time. Also, I was like in credit card debt. So I spent all of 2017 just like completely focused on getting out of debt, which I, I did get out of debt. Is I really love what you mentioned earlier about you had this idea of how you wanted to be a writer, the kind of writer that you wanted to be. And I do think we really build these kind of expectations of certain roles or titles, perhaps overemphasize these into how we expect them to, to look externally when in reality that may not match with our personal lifestyle. How do you feel your kind of identity as a writer or how writing has fit into your life? How has that changed for you during these past few years? I guess I realized and made a boundary that like, I don't want to be a writer if I have to be depressed to be a writer. (laughs) (laughs) And I mean, I just was like, that's a non-negotiable situation. Like, if I can't write, it's one thing to, you know, practice at writing to want to get better at a skill and things like that. But I think I had this vision in my head of the kind of writer I really wanted to be, which was, you know, someone who really did value sitting down and doing the work and being consistent. And I could take criticism or I mean, I could take constructive feedback without it pummeling me. I could get rejected without it being an indication of how good or not good I am. Um, Well, rejection would probably mean to me that I'm not good, but you know, I wouldn't take it to heart. 
and that I would be able to, you know, withstand that kind of scrutiny and that I would be able to, for the majority of the time, enjoy the process of writing. And, you know, like with my Friday letters, I don't begrudge that I have to do that. I I think that because they resonate so much is because I do them enjoy. I don't write them because, you know, they like I write them for me, really. And then it just happens to be that I share it with others. And I mean, I have a sense that I'm writing them for an audience, but I don't try to, you know, I don't like think about it beforehand. I don't brainstorm topics. That's for me, though. Plenty of people can do it a different way. But for me, that was the way to enjoy it was like, I was just going to sit down Friday morning, have a ritual. I mean, before COVID, I used to go to a coffee shop and it was like so fun. But now I'm just stuck in my house. (laughs) I miss coffee shops so much. (laughs) Oh my God. Same. Oh, I can't even think about it. It actually like hurts. To yeah, think yeah. About I it. get emotional just thinking, even about Starbucks. Yeah, I just. <laughs> well, I wouldn't yeah. give. And I and Starbucks, the coffee smell is so strong it used to give me a headache. But like, I'll take it. <laughs> exactly. Um, it sounds like over many years you've kind of not reinvented but evolved yourself into many different types of personas. Um, and I don't mean persona as like an outward facing thing. I mean, you know, your core identity. I would love to hear more about your move to France and how going through that change, because moving country, even if it is with your partner, is a huge decision and really upends your life. How did you feel navigating that? Oh, my God, I was so anxious because it was mostly my husband. He's such a he's such a little nomad. And so <laughs> He was like really pushing for it. And I had a lot of resistance because really I felt like it was the most stable I had felt in a long time. And I was scared of upsetting that stability with a move. And, you know, we just, we just didn't put a lot of pressure on it. We put our stuff in storage. You know, we got long-term visas, like kind of, they were like long-term tourist visas. We couldn't work. We couldn't do anything there. I mean, I worked on the computer for my company in America, but I wasn't, you know, we couldn't get, it wasn't like a real move. I mean, in that sense. And um, I had a lot of anxiety and actually that experience because of how much anxiety I had and because the joy of it was as strong as how much anxiety I had. I now know that like a lot of anxiety is usually an indication that I'm like, stretching to a new version of myself and I'm not there yet. And because it was the best decision we had ever made. It was just so fun. It was it was fun, it was eye-opening, it gave us a new perspective on our marriage, but it didn't come without some trials before it of trying to figure out, you know, what we were trying to do and also just pushback from people in general. I think that was probably one of the biggest decisions that I felt people in my life, even like tangential people were really strange about. I think because, you know, we were in our thirties married. It's like, you're not supposed to do that. Like people were really concerned about, you know, when we're going to start settling down. And I was like, (laughs) what do you care? You know, like you don't have to live our life. And, you know, some people, there was a lot of women in my life, not even well, not like 
close women, but you know, at that time I was seeing people. So I was like going to brunches and things with people. (laughs) Um, I was like, I'm like, I forget what that's even like, but I was, I was like, I was in a group of people. Whoa. Um, but you know, there was a lot of pushback from people from like women with kids. They were like, Oh, how I wish that I could do that. And I was like, no one forced you to have a kid, you know, like, I, I didn't feel like I needed to apologize for it, but it kind of felt like like I was getting a lot more pushback than I really expected. I was like, what's why is this decision so triggering to a lot of people? Like you you could I have actively and intentionally decided to not have kids yet or I don't know if I even going to have kids. Why is that decision? I have to be kind of quiet about it. <laughs> And you can say something like, how am I supposed to feel when you say something like it kind of makes me feel bad. But anyway, so that was like strange because I had to push through because every time someone said that it was like, well, now I have to think about it. And like, especially the thing of like, when are you going to settle down? Like I was like, is this irresponsible? But then I was like, why is it? Why? Like, what is it? What's the timeline? And why do I have to do what everyone else is doing? Such a heavily weighted question, isn't it, as well? (laughs) It's just... It really is. And especially, I think that was the decision that finally, like, secured my personal position as, like, I am not interested in societal timelines or criteria because I would be upset if I had not done that if I had not gone to France for that year, because it's a decision that I feel like my life is kind of in a before France and after France, because it was just so awesome. And it gave me a love of life that I don't think that I was inhabiting before. Like, you know, especially this year, everything this I'm not well in 2020. I mean, I'm in LA. So we've been locked down since like March. It's been absolutely horrifying. And I feel like everything that I experienced and learned in France was preparing me for this because I had not seen family for a year. I was very good being on my own or like just with my husband. I was very good at enjoying like the small things of just like taking a walk by the beach or, you know, just sitting and having like sitting on a balcony and like enjoying reading a book or something like France is very good about enjoying the small things. And I feel like that saved me in 2020, but yeah, there was a lot of both external and internal pushback about it. And now I'm just like, I'm not running my decisions by anybody. I don't really, (laughs) I don't care. There is so much projection of other people. they whenever there's big decisions like this, like moving abroad, changing job, it's so hard because as humans, we want that support and that external validation from others to tell us that we're making the right decision. Because obviously you have your own worries about that decision going on in your head. And so you want to go to someone else and for them to be like, no, 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 it's okay. Everything that you're saying, you know, you'll be fine. But in reality, as soon as you take that kind of thing to someone else, they bring all of their stuff to it. <laughs> so even if they're, if you're not worried about having children, they're thinking, oh, but I could never do that because I want to have children in the next year. And it's like, these are two different things. <laughs> and also, you don't want to make a decision that people 
are going to feel something, feel inadequate about, or like they missed out or jealous or something. And so I actually felt like my circle of people that like I could talk to who were excited for me really shrank. And that has kind of continued the more that I, cause I actually feel like a lot of like my worry in my twenties was, you know, you get to a certain point and you feel like you alienate people because like they can be very triggered by certain like milestones, I guess. And I now am very cautious of who I share my news with because it's hard to find people who, especially for some reason in your thirties, it's hard to find people who like you tell them something and they're not going to immediately be like, well, what, well, well, uh, I mean, I, I'm doing something yes. else. And yeah. it's like, okay. <laughs> like, I don't, cool. I'm not sitting here being like, why aren't you doing, I, I'm sharing something with me, but it's, it's sticky. Yeah. Sticky is a perfect term for it, actually. <laughs> I've thought a lot about it. So. <laughs> <laughs> I got the terms teed up. <laughs> um. So what I also wanted to talk to you about this is pivoting a little bit you you have spoken about your future self before and how you want to do your best by her and I would love if you could expand a little bit on the balance between having this vision of your future self and the present moment yeah I kind of look at it as sort of a it's like a balancing act because Actually, it kind of goes hand in hand. This is a very good question because I'm like, huh, yeah, I've never thought of it. Um, but I, I've never thought of it because it hasn't come up. Um, but if I have to reverse engineer it, I think when you start positively regarding your future self, if you love who you're becoming, you sort of naturally love who you are currently because so it's when I think you regard your future self with like loathing or dread. It's sort of like you're never going to be enough as your present self. But when you start thinking of, you know, what habits or what things do I, like I started writing my book because I was like, I cannot face myself at 35 and not be in process of writing this book. Like I just can't do it. And so I kind of was able to hold that vision without also like the worst thing is to hold that vision and then be mad at yourself that you're not at that vision yet. Um, and I think that's why the present moment is potentially hard for a lot of people because they're angry. They're not doing enough yet. But I think if you're, if you're really focused on not the future, not like, I'll be happy when, or I'll be okay when, but more like, what am I co-creating right now? What am I putting in place right now to give an easier life to my future self? And I think I started this, I think I started thinking of this a lot because of the time when I was working to get out of debt, I had a realization that I was like, okay, so my past self basically just gave my future self problems. <laughs> like there's no other way that I can think about it. And it's like, it's fine. <laughs> I dealt with it, but I was like, I'm going to learn from this because I can either give my future self burdens to bear, or I can give my future self ease and joy and, 
and progress. And I think that in, I don't know how to really explain that it does make you more present because you're like, you're focused on your day, your daily effort and your daily um, approach as opposed to, well, my future self will just deal with it one day, I guess. And it makes you more intentional. Like instead of, I, instead of giving myself resolutions at the beginning of the year, I ask myself, what does Jamie of January 2022 want to feel? And I start to think of it like that. I think like, well, would she want to have progress on this? What kind of money would she want in her savings? What, what can I do to, you know, help her feel better in her body or, you know, eat differently or, you know, what would she want? And because I know that if I'm going to do that, if I'm going to meet my January 2022 self and be that person, I can't shove it off. I have to do that every day. It's not as focused on like, I need to be more productive and more of this. It's much more intentional because it's really based on how I feel. And then those become actions. And, and it really, it has brought me actually a lot more, like, for example, Okay, I, a really good example of a way to be present is obviously like exercise, using your body, whether that's walking, spinning, swimming, weightlifting, anything, doing a video, any of those things, it puts you in your body pretty presently. I look at that and it's like, okay, if January 2022, Jamie wants to be in better shape, wants to walk up that hill easier, wants to go on harder hikes, wants to hold a longer plank, I cannot walk once a week, you know, like I have to go do that, like pretty consistently in order to get to that place. And then you look at that. And because that's a really easy, tangible example that I think everyone could go, huh? Yeah. And you apply that to everything else that is not as tangible. You're like, if I want a book done in 2022, I could write 500 words a day and I'd be like really good. You know, I could write 250 words a day and a draft would be done. I love how so much of the the this idea, because I used to think that the whole idea of a future self was actually kind of a bit too idealistic and pushing it, pushing things away. But I love the whole idea around being a lot more intentional and in the present moment that actually is all just leading and feeding into the type of person that you want to be. And it makes it, it actually weirdly helps make it a lot more manageable because it turns it into a much smaller stepping stone that you can just keep building on to then get there in the future rather than having this big idea of something that maybe you want to be achieving, like we were saying with writing a book, and actually it turns it into a very real tangible action that can be just achieved on a day-to-day -day basis. Yeah, it also like puts you in the driver's seat mm -hmm. instead of I'll be happy when this one thing that's completely out of my control happens. <laughs> and yes. Until then I'll just, I don't know, float around feeling aimless, you know, but instead you can go, I'm creating this for myself. So whoever I want to be then, I am tasked to build it now. And I can understand how that might like be feel like a lot to people, but actually like 
when you break it down and you realize like all you have to do is what you've said you're going to do in that day and then the next and the next and it actually like creates something else entirely instead of being like well like the future is some thing that I just am worried about or I'm living in or because I put off my my happiness for times when you know well, when I get this and when I do this, yeah, yeah, it wasn't worth it. I was like, okay, my task now is to make every day really beautiful and make every day feel like a big moment. I don't always do that. Some days just suck. And I'm like, okay, well (laughs) tomorrow, but you know, for the most part, I try to figure out ways to regard my day more positively instead of being like, well, I'll enjoy the weekend. And then, oh, I can't wait till it's Friday. And oh, 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 like, I still want to live. It's like life is too long to live like that. Oh, well, you have shared so much already. Um, But I am going to ask my final question that I ask everyone on this podcast, which is what advice would you have for those that are currently feeling lost on their own forest path? Do one thing. Do one thing every single day, small as it might be, whether that's journaling for two minutes, meditating, taking a 10 minute walk, writing for a paragraph, just build that muscle. It builds momentum and it calls in other things. And also action is clarifying. Thinking is harder. It makes it harder to clarify. Once you take action, you realize so much about yourself And it puts you into a more present state of mind. It makes you feel like you're more in control of your life. And so I would recommend taking one action, small as it might be. Like I got started exercising by being on the stationary bike for literally 10 minutes, three times a week. And now it's a completely huge part of my life is to move daily. So Every small thing adds up and do not, I know when you're lost and you feel like nothing's going to change, you can't imagine that something as small as a 10 minute walk could do that, but it builds momentum. And if you do things consistently, you start to trust yourself more. And the more you trust yourself, the more you can clarify how to get past being so lost. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for your time this wonderful conversation yeah this is really fun if you want to hear more of jamie's work the best place to find her is on her website jamievaron.com or her instagram at jamievaron thank you for listening if you have enjoyed today's conversation please share it with a friend and subscribe it helps people find it and means a great deal to me and if you are looking for some gentle guidance on your own forest path i offer one-on-one coaching to help you discover and reconnect with your own magic You can find out more on my website, juliewrites.com. Until next time, wanderers.